follow along as I read from John's Gospel. I'll be reading from John chapter 1, starting from verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confess freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah, the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. Then I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Well, hello again, everybody. Uh, Thank you, Taylor, for reading God's word to us. We are going to explore that passage together, and we're also going to continue into the next bit of John. Uh, Sorry, the next bit of the chapter from verse 35 through to uh, the end of chapter 1. So please do keep your Bible open. We'll be exploring it together. But as we do, we've prayed a bit today, and we just will pray again. So please pray with me. Father, as we approach your word... We ask that by your Holy Spirit, you'll bring it to life for us. That we'll know what it means that Jesus is Lord and to be formed into his likeness. I particularly pray for my sisters and brothers across the screen here, that you help us to engage with your word. I pray that what I say is pleasing to you, that you speak through me, and that we'll be formed into the likeness of Jesus. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder how often is it that you notice signs? Signs like that one you've got on your screen there or like particularly when you're, you're going along a road and, and you're driving somewhere or you're on the way to go to something. How often do you notice the signs? Now imagine if you know where you're going, you have no idea about the signs going around you. Like the other day I was thinking about this sermon and I was driving home just noticing all the signs on the way to my house. There's this one that said there's no through road like to my house, no far I was couldn't believe that. It was incredible. But there's also other signs that you notice because you have no idea where you're going. And you need to look for the signs and see what it is they're pointing to. You're like in anticipation. And you also wonder, like, what is the purpose of these signs? Because the purpose of these signs is to direct you, 
right? They're to, to tell you uh, the right way you're going. The purpose of signs is not so you look at them and remain looking at them. They, they direct you somewhere. Take, for example, that Macca's sign. Now, when you look at that Macca's sign, it's telling you, all right, there's a Macca's here. And it kind of gets you hungry. And its whole idea is to say, okay, stop here and come into the restaurant. If you stay just looking at the sign, like that's pointless. There's no point at all. The whole point of the sign is to direct you into the restaurant so that you can experience the joys of what is uh, McDonald's. Now, this passage, and indeed heaps of John, uh, especially the first half, is all about signs. Signs that, uh, that point towards Jesus. And in this passage in particular, the sign is, is a person, uh, the person of John, uh, and he is, he's pointing to one who is the hope. Now, as Taylor mentioned, we have begun our series in Light and Life uh, through the, this Gospel of John. And if you remember back to last week, we looked at the introduction, which was kind of like that, painted a picture of who this person of Jesus is, and the themes of what this gospel is going to be about. Now, one theme in particular I didn't talk about, or I kind of glazed over, was the theme of witness, and also the character of John. You might be wondering when I even glazed over it. Uh, That doesn't matter. But uh, you would have heard from that Bible passage that this passage um, seems to be a lot about John, a lot about John the Baptist. And in verse 19, it said that this is his testimony. It seems like he's the main character, and we're going to learn uh, what we can gain from John, and particularly how he goes about it. And then from doing those things, what we can gain from John, and, and what, how he goes about it, what it means to respond to him, uh, what it res- means to respond uh, to these things. But firstly... Who is John the Baptist? If we're going to explore what he's about, who who is he? Now, we already know a little bit about him from chapter 1. If you kind of glaze your eye back there, you can see that he comes as a witness to the light. Uh, He's given a bit of a role of prominence there in the opening chapter. But for the original readers, it really seems that John the Baptist is a bit of like assumed knowledge. Like if I was to say to you, uh, Dr. Kerry Chant, who gives the 11 a.m. press conference, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. That's kind of what's going on here. When they see John the Baptist, they know um, what he's talking about. But for us, though, we need to do a little bit more digging. Um, John, he's kind of like a big influencer, a big influencer of, of his day. From the other Gospels, we read that he does have a bit of a following of people who are going out to see him in the wilderness uh, at the River Jordan as he preaches these messages of repentance and turning back. He's baptizing people. Uh, We also know he's a relative of Jesus. He's just six months older than him. And we also read he's got a bit of a crazy and a a weird diet, a bit of weird fashion uh, with his his honey and all. But what's kind of most relevant uh, to this narrative here is that he's giving the kind of messianic vibes and what i mean by messianic vibes is that he's beginning to appear like the person that the jewish people the israelites are hoping for the one who brings all god's blessings into reality the person who is called the messiah and so by john he's kind of hanging out in the desert he's hanging out in the wilderness he's calling people to repentance he's baptizing people He's taking them from outside the promised land through the water back into the promised land. The, the Israelites are going, whoa, this is getting exciting. They're kind of building up their hope and their expectation that something good could come from this. 
They got hope. They got expectation. Like, imagine you are to watch Dr. Kerry chant the 11 a.m. press conference. And she says, in the 24 hours leading up to 8 p.m. last night, there were zero COVID cases. Like, imagine the kind of hope and expectation that that would arise in you. Like, what does this mean for our lockdown? Like, you're beginning to think, your mind's beginning to tick. That's the kind of hope. That's the kind of expectation that the Jewish leaders in particular are having of John. And so we don't have it uh, written in our Bibles here, but the, the implied question that the Jewish leaders sent their emissaries to ask is, John, are you the Messiah? Like, are you the one that we are to place our hope in? Like, we want liberation. Like, you and I, we want liberation from the COVID virus and, and the restrictions. But these guys, they want liberation from the Roman oppressors, the ones who are depressing them and oppressing them. Uh, they want all God's promises to come and for God to bring blessing. They're desiring hope. They're desiring hope in the Messiah. Now, desiring hope and indeed needing hope is very human. It's kind of just part of the human condition. We, we place our hope in things in order to help us move forward and give us purpose and meaning for the moment. Now, of course, we do want relief from these restrictions, but we have much larger hope than that. We have, similar to the Jews, a hope of looking for a Messiah, someone or something that is going to bring us hope. We're looking for our own Messiahs. So what, in what or in whom are you seeking and finding hope? Whether it be a person or a way of life, or to put it in a slightly different way, in what things are you seeking fulfillment or purpose or to give your life meaning? Like what would, what would your thoughts say? What would your social media feed say? What would your friends say about you? Say where you are seeking your Messiah. Where is it that you're seeking hope? Hold on to whatever's going on in your head and we'll, we'll pick that back up and explore it. Because for the Jews and the Jewish leaders, where they are placing all those things is in the Messiah. And they're thinking it's looking a bit like John. Now just place yourself in John's shoes here. Like in this moment, you've got a people who are absolutely desperate for liberation. Right? They, they are people who are, are looking for someone to follow. They, they want someone to bring them out of this depressed and oppressive state. They're looking for someone to throw their hopes on. And they want to raise that person up, give them power, give them promise, um, praise. And they're thinking and they're asking, is this John? Like, imagine what that could do for a person if they're trying to pin that all on you. And you're like, oh, wow, that's a lot of temptation right there. All the social prestige and honor that could be thrust upon John. But what's his response when they ask? Have a look. Uh, he says, uh, verse 20 and following. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. And so they asked him, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? They're basically saying Elijah because in Malachi, the very last book of the Bible, in the final verses of the Old Testament, it says that, Elijah is going to come back, or a person like Elijah, and, and kind of bring the fulfillment of God's promises. So they're like, well, are you Elijah? He says, no, I'm not. Well, are you the prophet? Like, are you the one that Moses spoke about that's going to come and be even greater than Moses? Are you him? John says, no. 
What John is saying is that I'm not the one for you to pin your hopes on. I'm not the one for you to rise up. I'm not the one for you to glorify. I'm no savior. Not me and actually not anybody else except for this one which I'm going to be pointing to. So the Jewish leaders, they ask, well, then who are you? Give us an answer so we can take it back to, the, to our uh, leaders. And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. John is the one who prepares the way. Now, he loves quoting that verse in Isaiah. All the Gospels do it. And what the context is in Isaiah is the people are in exile in Babylon. And this person comes like saying, make the mountains low, bring the valleys high, make way straight the path for the Lord, for the Messiah to come, to bring them back from the exile, to bring God's promises. Now, John, he intimately knows his role. He knows what his role is and he executes it. He knows his ministry is not about him. He says, no, 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 my ministry, it's not about me. It's about the one I'm pointing to. My role is important and it's necessary. It's like ordained by God. But not me nor anybody else are you the one to place your hopes in. Now, then that starts to surprise the Jews. They're like, well, what's the go, man? Why, why are you baptizing? Why are you getting our hopes up? Or are you doing this, like an alternate religious thing? You're trying to go against us here. What's going on? And so John gives this kind of cryptic answer in verse 26. He says, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. The straps of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. Like I'm not even worthy to be a slave of the one who's going to come after me. For a person who is gathering a big following, like this is a person who has way more people following him than, uh, than he follows. For a person like that the leaders in society are seemingly want to place all their hope in. And on top of that, he is someone who God has intimately given a personal role in the salvation of the world. If there's anyone who's in danger of developing a huge amount of pride in their ministry, it's John. But what's his response? It's just complete humility, isn't it? Humility not to absorb that pride for himself, but just keep directing it and pointing towards the Messiah. John is living out the right way to be a witness to Jesus. And so the implication for us is certainly not to worship John, but to be a witness like John. And I think there's kind of two quite prominent and intertwined things that this passage is, is leading us towards. The first thing is to be humble in ministry. And just to push into that for a moment, right? we know to be humble in our life. It's something that we see amazingly displayed in the Lord Jesus and what he calls us to. But we live in such a temptation. And when we're serving in ministry, there's such a temptation to have like, pride sneak in. It's so deceptive. Like I know I live with that temptation. It feels like on the daily. Like Humility, it's about not making it about us but making it just about Jesus and therefore the needs of others. Humility is not about seeking others to need you. It's not about trying to make others need you or others to, to, to say you're amazing or to praise you, to seek them to do that. It's resisting those prideful temptations to not make it about us, 
but instead making about Jesus and the ones that we serve. And then the second thing is very much tied up in the first, is that you point to Jesus, directing people to Jesus. Now, John's whole life is like that. This whole story is just demonstrating that. Like John is like that big sign, like that big Maccas, which is saying, here it is, here's the goodness, here is Jesus. But I'm not it, it's him. And we too are to be like signs, visible, seen, calling people, showing them this is the way. Showing them what a life with Jesus is like, but not to make it about you, but to continue to point them to Jesus. And so from this opening, and we'll continue to see uh, John do exactly that, is a person who knows his ministry and his witness to Jesus is extremely valuable. It definitely is, and our ministry and witness to Jesus is too. Yet he remains humble, and he points people away from himself and toward Jesus. Now to bring us back into the passage, in terms of the narrative, I know we kind of jumped the gun saying, saying it's Jesus. We, we know that we've read chapter 1. Uh, we had the Bible written too. But for the, the original people in this story, the, the characters, who is this Messiah? He hasn't turned up yet. And so then we read in verse 29, how is this Messiah going to turn up? Uh, and we read, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God points him out in the crowd. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed in Israel. I know it kind of seems a little bit comical, like out of nowhere, he's just, Whoa, that guy all the way over there. But John is just directly making the point, He is the one. That's the one I've been doing all this work for. He is it. And that's especially what those verses 30, 31 are saying. But you have that little bit, verse 29, about Jesus being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, why does John say that? If Jesus is the Son of God, well, why not say that? Why say the Lamb of God? And so it's worth pushing in there for for a moment. There's kind of three things that are going on. Uh, The first two are like what John has in mind. The first option is like this apocalyptic warrior lamb. Uh, We read about it in some Jewish writings and in Revelation a bunch of times. It's this person who's described as like a warrior and like a soldier who goes and and defeats all things evil, all things sin, like this warrior lamb. Um, And so in that sense, the lamb takes away the sin of the world by literally driving it out. John may have have had that in his mind. The other thing, John loves the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah 53, we read about uh, the, ser- the suffering servant, the one who is pictured as a lamb who is pierced, who's crushed for our transgressions and sins for the people. So maybe that sacrificial lamb is also what John the Baptist has in mind. But then there is a third kind of lamb, which is most likely what the author, the author John, has in mind, which is the Passover lamb. Because we know that in this gospel, as in every gospel, at the end, well, not quite the end, Jesus dies on the cross at the time of Passover, being the Passover lamb, the one in whom all sin is put upon and he takes away the sin of the world by sacrificing himself. And in the context of this gospel, that's the one that is kind of to be front and center 
in our minds. But what's central in kind of all of them is that Jesus is the one. He is the one who takes away the sin of the world, the one in whom to place your hope. He is the one who will make it happen. And then we, when we read on, verses 32 and on, we read how John knows that's the case. It says, Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as, as a dove and remain on him. Remember that word, remain. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. So the one who sent John is God the Father. We read that in chapter 1, verse 6. So the Father told him, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And John says, I have seen and I testify that this, Jesus, is God's chosen one or God's son. And what's uh, kind of especially important here is obviously the language of the Holy Spirit. And there's two cool things which go on there which are meaningful to us. The first one is that the Holy Spirit remains on Jesus. Now, Jesus always has the Holy Spirit. This is a symbolic uh, event that's going on for other people's benefit, firstly for John's. But it's different in the context of the Bible because when the Holy Spirit has come before on a person, so in the Old Testament, he comes on them for a particular time, for a particular purpose, and then he leaves. He never remains. But the Holy Spirit, he remains on Jesus, demonstrating uh, that he is the chosen one of God. And the second thing is that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. He's the one who then gives the Holy Spirit. And who else can do that but God? And so this imagery of the, the Holy Spirit coming on him confirms that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one who brings hope. He is the one who brings life. Now for those listening at the time, for the original readers who picked up the Gospel of John for the first time, this is imploring us to seek and to find our hope in Jesus. At the beginning, when we we're reading about those Jewish leaders and they're seeking and they're trying to find hope and they're thinking it's in John. And we're talking about, I was asking you to think about where is it you find your fulfillment and meaning in your life? Where is it you're seeking hope? What is that thing? It seems like probably more than usual, like in this season of lockdown in isolation. We're all kind of asking that question in one way or another. Now, of course, everybody's experience of lockdown is different. Uh, everyone experiences it uniquely. But we've all lost things, right? In one way, shape, or form, we've lost the opportunity to go on holidays or weddings or the opportunity to do some of the things we just love doing so much. I feel like I'm losing my sanity sometimes. And like we lose, some of us have lost jobs and finances. We've lost community like big things. And as we lose those things, typically, like our anxiety goes up. Our despair goes up. Like just that feeling of melancholy and however you, that expresses for you, it, it rises. Because when things are taken away, it, it reveals what's, what's going on in the inside almost. Reveals just what's left. And it gets us asking, where is it that I'm finding meaning? Where is it that I find fulfillment? Now, of course, uh, your mental health at this time uh, matters. Uh, for Jesus, it matters. He, de he deeply cares for the whole person. So continue to step into the practical things. And you're taking care of yourself, going for walks, talking to people on the phone. 
um, eating well, sleeping well, doing the things which I'm not doing very well at the moment, but set yourself goals and, and achieve them. Jesus cares about our mental health. But amongst it all, continue to ask yourself, where is it that you're actually seeking hope, seeking fulfillment in your life? This passage, and indeed the Bible as a whole, is calling us to find and to seek our hope in the person and life of Jesus. So please, can I encourage you to do that, to seek to find your hope and your meaning in him. And then the next part of this story, from verses 35 to the end, there's a lot going on here in its own right, which we could dig into more properly at another time. But in some ways, it just acts like a beautiful story and kind of like an, an application itself of what it means for John to be a witness and what it means to then to seek, go find uh, Jesus. In an essence, it's a story saying, come and see, now that you know that Jesus is this Messiah. I'll kind of overview the story for you here. Uh, as you kind of look through, uh, you'll notice there's lots of words and language around following. Uh, it's very much like a coming and seeing what it's all about. When you look at the first uh, little section there, probably in your Bibles, if you've got the NIV, it's called John's Disciples Follow Jesus, verses 35 to 42. That's exactly what happens. There's these two disciples that are followers of Jesus. And then John says again, look, there's the Lamb of God. And the two disciples stop following John and start following Jesus. Now you can imagine John at that point. He's like, oh, what a awesome, great thing. They have limited loyalty to me, and as soon as they see Jesus, they go after him. Like, that's what, it's, that's what it's about. And from that point on, actually in the narrative, John the Baptist, he fades away, and Jesus becomes prominent. And then one of those guys, Andrew, as he starts to follow Jesus, he then, he then goes and he finds Peter, and he says, hey, come, I've found the Messiah. Come, follow him too. And then in the next section, you get a very similar kind of thing. Philip, uh, Jesus calls him and says, come follow me. And then as he's going to follow Jesus, he, he goes to get his mate Nathaniel. And he says, Nathaniel, come on, mate. I found the Messiah. Let's go. Come, follow. Now, Nathaniel is a bit of an interesting character. Like he's 100% skeptical. He thinks Jesus, no way anything good can come from Nazareth. Now, plenty of us can be skeptical as well about Jesus and his claims. And Philip just gets a beautiful, wonderful, simple response. Come and see. Come and see for yourself, Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel gets a bit of a surprise because Jesus has almost got this, seems like, supernatural understanding of where Nathaniel was. I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel's like, whoa, I did not expect that. Wow, you really must be this uh, Messiah kind of guy. And Jesus says, basically, mate, you haven't seen anything yet. And this invitation to continue to come, follow me, see what I'm about. Come and see. And I think this is a beautiful invitation for all of us to come and see Jesus. It's a warm invitation for those who are skeptical, for those who are unsure about Jesus, or maybe you've been following him and uh, he's not quite living up to the billing. This is an invitation from Jesus himself to say, come and follow, see what I'm really about. See, it, see how really it is that he brings life. But for those of us who do follow Jesus, who have been called by him and who are following after him, this is also an invitation for us to go and find others and invite them to come and see. Both those encounters, they just, 
they demonstrated that so wonderfully. People following Jesus and calling others in a warm and compelling way to just come and see Jesus themselves. And our friends, I know that evangelism, sometimes it can seem daunting and, and seem scary. But sometimes, just at its heart and at its most simple, it is doing that, inviting people to come and see. So who is it this week? Who is it this week that you can invite to, to watch the live stream, to come in to one of your Zoom home groups, to just chat about this person of Jesus, to read his word together, whatever it may be. Nathaniel's story, if we went into it more, you would see that it's a wonderful reminder and a story of how God can touch someone's heart and turn them from a skeptic into an investigator, into a believer. It's happened many times before. So pray, have faith, uh, ask others to come and see. You never know what God's going to do with it. And friends, that's what this passage is compelling us to do. In this season of lockdown, uh, really any season in, in life at all, where we're looking for hope, looking for life. We're invited to seek and find it in Jesus, to follow him and then invite others to come and see too. And then in that mission, as we go out following Jesus, calling others, we have a beautiful example of what that looks like in the person of John. Someone who just knows he's that signpost, humbly just directing others to Jesus. Because he knows and we know Jesus is the only one who we can everyone can pin their hopes on. And we are blessed, you and I, to be people who are alerting people, alerting this world to the rule and reign of Christ and that he is the one who brings hope and life from now into eternity. Let me pray for us. Our good and gracious God, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. We thank you so much that he is the one that brings hope and life. He is the Messiah. Father, I pray that you make it more and more meaningful to us, that you really bring to life what it means that Jesus is Lord. I pray for this church that will be formed more into his image, and we pray for our friends and our family that we invite to come and see who Jesus is, that you will touch their life. We deeply desire more people to come into your kingdom for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.